Well, it is our last time together, and it's been a, uh, a joy to get to be with you all. I, uh, I wish I could have been. I really like the time around the tables and where you get to hang around and get to know people. And uh, just because of some recent surgery I've had, I've just had to drive back and forth from San Jose. Um, I did say I would, I would wrap up yesterday's message, so a little housekeeping just before we... We start, in fact, two housekeeping. I spoke to a family that has a, um, a son that has some doubts. And uh, I shared with them a resource, and I don't remember your name, but we talked out right there. So I hope you're still here. Uh, this is for you all. I'm just going to put this, um, you know, I'll just put it in front of the, the pulpit. And uh, after we get done, if it doesn't get picked up, whoever wants it can have it. But, uh, and then the other is the notes on uh, teaching your kids about managing their wealth wisely. Some of you, if I don't give you the fill-ins, you're going to be really upset with me. So um, th on the practical side, it's page three. It was help them learn the three purposes, remember, of money, giving, saving, spending. And we talked about three jars and various ways to do that as they get older. The second was teach them to commit to honor God. Most of you got this, right? With the first fruits of every paycheck or allowance. Um, and then very purposely to remind them that it's his money, not theirs. We just really, I mean, we have to learn this. Um, but we really need to help our kids. The earlier they get... I'm a steward. This is his money. It's his bike. It's um, his earphones. It's his phone that I lost. Um, just kidding on that one. <laughs> I thought it would strike home with most of you parents. Uh, third is encourage them to make time with God the number one priority so they'll know how to invest the time, talent, and treasure entrusted to them. And the Mark 1.35 passage to me is one of the most instructive in that we have the longest day recorded in Jesus' life from early morning until late at night, healing, casting out demons, and he is, the, he is at the pinnacle of popularity. And it says a great while before dawn, he went to a lonely place to meet with the Father. And then the disciples come and basically say, I mean, you're a rock star. Everyone wants you to come back. And uh, I think he went to go alone to remind himself of what my mission was. Because what he goes on to say is, I can't or I won't because I must. And there's a little word in Greek. It's D-E-I and transliterated. But it's, it's called the must of divine necessity. In other words, it's just an absolute He's saying, my absolute, I must go and preach and teach to other villages, for that's why I came. And I think um, we just really want to help our kids understand that uh, the only way to be discerning about what to do with your time or what to do with your talent is to hear that from God. And uh, obviously, we need to model that. And I had two or three get great illustrations that I won't share. Um, and then finally, uh, the life message is you want your kids to learn, or grandkids, that your life is a sacred stewardship. Um, it's sacred. You, are, you matter. You're holy. 
And uh, since I couldn't develop that the way that I'd like to, I think there's a slide coming up. And so if you will, for those of you, um, we probably much like maybe Mount Hermon you just shared, uh, the app, it doesn't matter whether it's iPhone, Android, or whatever. And I apologize for my name, but our marketing team found out for every 90 people that knew my name, only about five people knew living on the edge. So they said, we need to put your name on there. But uh, I think everything on it is free. It'll be, uh, and when you open it where it says, listen, you just scroll down, leaving a legacy that lasts forever all the messages, because this is four of five parts. Uh, there's also a place where all the notes you can download. So I think it's the last nine months of messages, and then it kind of rotates, maybe the last year. And then it'll have some short videos. We do a thing where we teach people how to study the Bible and some other things. So anyway, there's no hook. There's no, you know, like, oh, gosh, if I log on to that, am I going to get mail or emails? or No, it's just uh, it's a resource that we found was... Uh, helpful to people because we want to help Christians live like Christians. Okay, are you guys ready for our last one together? I'm actually excited about this one. Um, maybe the last one, I, I will tell you before I get started, is the last message is um, to teach them, the life message is teach them that failure is never final. And it is a, uh, it's a theology of grace. And so uh, that'll be number five, and we only had four sessions. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the men and women uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, all along the way that had a vision and prayed, and for all the thousands of people that have given generously. For, Lord, all the teachers that have come and gone Lord, for the family systems, for the lives that have been transferred on these grounds from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, for those that have had moments of revolutionary repentance uh, on this campus or one of the other campuses, Lord, for marriages that restored, for kids that saw that walking with you and following you could be joyful and exciting because of their experience here. Lord, we give you credit for all of that. And as we uh, end at least this teaching time, would you help us to trust you? Lord, would you help us to believe that you're good and that you're for us? Uh, would you help us not to be angry and frustrated at our own failure or our children or our grandchildren, to believe that you're slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, that you're gracious and compassionate, and all you really want for us is to, no matter what, turn wherever we are back to you. Humbly come. Ask for your help, your forgiveness, to really own where we're at. To know that we can't live this life, but your spirit in us is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that, Lord, impossible things can happen through ordinary people like us uh, because of who you are. Lord, you have a great agenda. I don't know if I'll get to see it in my lifetime, but I'm absolutely convinced that it's our children and our grandchildren that need to be equipped in this generation like never before. To that end, we pray. Lord, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'd like you to, uh, you don't have to shut your eyes, but I always, you know, if it was a little different room, I'd have the lights down low. And I would ask you to shut your eyes, and you don't have to, but I want you to think of maybe the top two decisions, I'm, I'm big ones in your life, that when you look back, you say, I'm so glad I made that decision. Oh, man, I'm so glad I made that decision. Think, think back. It could be, oh, I went to that school, or I married that person, or... Um, for many of us, the number one would be, I, I receive Christ. But I want you to think of, it can be a family decision, a business decision, a recent decision, but just ask the Holy Spirit to bring a decision or two or three that you think, oh. Maybe, maybe especially ones where you struggled. You, know, you kind of felt like, this is the right thing to do. I don't really want to do that one. And and then you chose to do it, or it had a high price, or you had to move, or you had to relocate, or you, know, you had to readjust your money, or it was something where it was like, and now you look back, and you think, oh my. Have you got it? Have you got it? Okay, now let's do the opposite. I want you to think of, and don't whisper this one out loud, because some people will not know that you actually made this decision. Um, I'd like you to think of a decision that if you could go back in time and say, oh God, if I could only change, if I could only go back and undo that, what would it be? You know, it could have been, I wish I wouldn't have married that first person in disobedience to my parents and what I knew, or could have been, I wish I wouldn't have abandoned the faith for that stretch, or I wish I wouldn't have gone to that school or, or had that abortion or lied about X or Y or Z. And we all have those, don't we? No one in this room hasn't made some probably even pretty big decisions that if we could go back, we think, oh, what it did to us or how it hurt someone else or how it violated what we knew was right. With those two things in mind, if you'll look at the front of your notes, someone has wisely said, we make our choices and then our choices make us. It's true, isn't it? Some of our good choices have resulted in a happy marriage, a great job, deep personal satisfaction, and some of our poor choices have resulted in destroying a marriage, losing a job, and suffering shame and reproach. Few things will determine the quality or fulfillment of your children's lives like the choices they make, for better or for worse. Most of your kids, by the time they are 25 years old, some earlier, will determine who will be the real master of their life, who will be their mate, and what will be their mission. And most of that will happen as a result of the environment they grow up in, the values that are modeled by their parents and their grandparents, the kind of friends that they choose to have or are allowed to have, the kind of input that will go into their mind, the kind of movies that they watch, the kind of games that they play, and a number of other situations that will form all these things that will create a belief system where they'll think, this is what I want, this is what I want to do, or better yet, this is what God wants me to do. And then, like us, 
they will have a day when someone might say, what are the top two really good decisions you made? And then unfortunately, they may have one of those where, boy, what, what are the ones you wish you could have changed? What we know is this is from Proverbs chapter 1, the first seven verses, a very, very wise man who started off very well and then got very stupid later. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord, you know, you can study those words, you know, sometimes you hear people like me who teach, you know, and what you need to understand is in the Hebrew or the Eucharitic or, you know, in the translation of the LXX, the word fear means, let me tell you what fear means. It means be afraid. It means reverential all absolutely, but it, it's, we, we have turned God into our good buddy who wants to make us all happy. Uh, I, I would think the fear of the Lord, the best picture I can give you, I actually got this from my son. If you can imagine, you know, those of us that live around here, half dome, right? And, and there's, a, there's a place where it's about here and, and you're not allowed to go near the edge. But the closer you get to the edge when no one's looking, if you're foolish, is what do you do instinctively? You get lower and lower and lower and pretty soon, right, the only way you're going to look over that is someone is holding your ankles and, and what you do is you instinctively get lower and lower because it's both exhilarating and terrifying. And that's a good picture of the fear of the Lord. It is exhilarating and awesome when we get glimpses of him but when you see his white hot holiness and purity that is other than anything we could ever imagine, it is terrifying. There is no one, you can't find anyone in scripture that even meets an angel with ending up flat on their face, let alone hearing the voice of God. And what we need to understand is that he's benevolent and kind and good, but to make good decisions, I believe, it requires a theology of holiness. As you open your notes, it says, teach them to make wise choices. And how do we do that? Uh, I'm going to give you a theology of holiness. I'm going to try and not err. I, I obviously, uh, my personal passion is I think if people would study the attributes of God, uh, it would probably solve about 90% of our problems. Uh, I was a, a young man uh, playing on a Christian basketball team. I'd played on a couple teams and toured all throughout South uh, America. And, and then um, an Australian team, they were godly guys, but they weren't very good in basketball. And so we were touring the Orient. And so they got a big man who was a former pro. And I guess they, uh, some guy got hurt, so they got me as the point guard. And so we, we teamed up and we played all throughout the Orient. And I'll never forget being in Hong Kong. And uh, it was a CMA pastor. And it was on like, you know, everything's up. So it was like, you know, 34th floor. And the library was a library during the week. And then he turned it into a, uh, a church. And um, we were having a little Bible study with the guys. And I think he saw in me some spiritual interest. And he had a, a, a you know, what a bookcase three bookcases, and they were filled with paperbacks, but they were all classic Christian paperbacks. 
And he obviously was a speed reader and pretty darn smart. And he said, I've just made the habit along with my time with God to read one of these paperbacks. These are the classic teachings of the church. I read one um, each week. And so um, he went over and pulled one off and he said, uh, Chip, are you familiar with this book? And you know, I've only been a Christian about three years by this time and I didn't know who A.W. Tozer was and I didn't know what the knowledge of the holy was. And it was a thin little book like this and the chapters are like mind-boggling, two and a half pages long. You know, a big one is like five pages long. And he says, why don't you check this out? And I remember uh, reading some of it and it was pretty high language. So I was, you know, oh boy, some of this is, you know, hurts my head a bit. And I remember getting to the part, a uh, chapter on the goodness of God. And the God that he describes in the goodness of God was so different than the God that I had pictured in my mind, which was why I was afraid to take risks, why I was afraid that God was ready to lower the hammer, why I didn't believe God really loved me down deep and everything was based on my performance. And I remember reading that, and, and anyway, I got near the end, and he says, what did you think? I said, um, this is messing with every aspect of my whole life. He goes, well, why don't you keep it? I, I took that, I read a chapter every day for about 10 years. The next 10 years, I, I read a chapter every week. The next 10 years, I read at least a chapter every month. Uh, after 20 years, if you have something in your briefcase, it rots. And so my wife gave me a, a new paperback and I pulled it out and the cover has now rotted. I don't know what that's called when the paper acid or something. There's nothing I have ever done that has more impacted my life other than scripture memory than pondering over and over and over not who I think God is but what he's really like. And Tozer introduced me to, you know, J.I. Packer and many others but I think we're living in a day where our kids and some of us have forgotten who God really is. So let me give a quick overview, because we're not going to touch it, but here's a theology of holiness. Um, the word usage, literally the word holy means to be other, to be separate, uh, to be sanctified. Uh, it has the idea of being, in other words, everything that you know and everything I know, uh, the, the old theologians called it his other because we don't have a category. God is not like the biggest, better, greatest pure that we could ever come up with. It's like everything we can know in our universe, God is a creator of and different. It's, we can't fathom. He's infinite. That means he's infinite in his compassionate, in his holiness, in his justice, in his goodness, in his severity. But what we do know is we can know clearly what he's like from what he's revealed. Uh, a great picture you might jot down, just Revelation 4 and 5. I mean, just when you think of these angelic beings, right, with the six wings and all the eyes and have never sinned and are absolutely pure, and they fly around the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Um, God is absolute truth. You might jot down John 14, 6. In other words, there is a standard. It's not relative. It's not what other people think. It's not on social media. It's not what anybody thinks. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, 
God's word defines absolute truth. Jesus' last prayer in John 17, 17 says, set them apart or make them holy by your truth. Your word is true. God's commands or laws are for our protection. Uh, Psalm 119 is David's, uh, I don't know about you, do you know people who talk about loving God's word? I mean, I mean, love it, enjoy it, can't stay out of it. I ended up, uh, one of my coaches, he's about 10, 11 years older than me, and uh, came to Christ later in life. And so we, on, on, on our trips, had a lot of time on planes and buses. And so the first year, I kind of gave him that topical memory system, and he started memorizing scripture. And then the next year, he said, why don't we do, why don't we do memorize the book of James together? And so we did. And then the, the next summer, we did Philippians. And then pretty soon, I met him, and he was a coach, and he was teaching. And pretty soon, he had the book of Romans down. And, and what, what every, I've never been around someone. David said, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It's, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It gives life. It makes us wiser than our teachers. It's powerful. It's renewing. It's purifying. Um, God's word is the, the written word is what the spirit uses to make it the living word in our hearts and our lives. And all of it is for our good. Anything that it says about human sexuality is the best. Anything that it says about divorce is, is so that families could stay together. God knew that there would be times in every season, in every marriage, where you just look at that other person and think, if I could get out of this, I would. I sure have been there. And God's word is clear that there are certain times when people violate covenants in a marriage where He's gracious and says, if that person hooks up and leaves and is living in immorality with someone else, I don't, there, there's a future for you. All of his word is geared around your best, your highest, the highest in relationships, the highest for your health, the highest for your future, the highest for decisions, the highest as a man, the highest as a woman. God loves us, and so he wants our best. And the way he gives us our best is by providing and protecting and giving some prohibit, prohibitions on every area and says, this is how to live. In fact, so much of this, you know, the Old Testament is kind of a closed book to many. Read it with new eyes, like you don't know about bacteria. You don't know when blood clots. You don't know anything. And read all those ceremonial crazy laws where God is taking a people for himself and giving them laws and things they don't understand that we can look back and say, well, you know, Purdue University has shown that the blood clots uh, on the eighth day, and that's when they were told to circumcise their kids. And bacteria happens in this way, and if you wash your hands before you do this and you do that, it's just amazing the wisdom that's in God's word. The uh, Old Testament roots, obviously, are Exodus uh, chapter 3 is when God first gives us his name. He causes Moses. Moses comes close. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
At this Moses, notice, he's just hearing out of a bush. He hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The other classic passage is in a time of crisis. Isaiah chapter 6, we, we sang it. It's in the year that King Uzziah had died. He says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And by the way, that's, a, that's an Old Testament picture. Is the power of the, or the authority of a king is the, the train is sort of the, you know, all the people, you know, in those old movies, you know, where he's got that long thing and people are holding it, you know, like that. Well, the longer it is, the, the, the bigger shot you are. And so this prophet looks and it fills the whole temple. He, it, it's Hebrew imagery to say, awesome and I am absolutely, completely blown away. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is always the response of when we get a, an accurate view of God. A high, holy view of God always causes us to get a sober view of ourselves. Because no matter how good we are compared to any other human being or any other Christian, compared to the absolute purity of God and the holiness of God, we fall woefully short. This is a prophet. Woe is me. I cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, it's touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And you all know the story. He raises his hand. A high, accurate view of God leads to a new and convicting view of yourself and then a realignment of your agenda with God's agenda. It happens over and over and over. That's what you want for your kids and grandkids. You want them to see God for who he is. And the scary part is when they're little and not so little, the best glimpse they're going to get according to the best sociology and psychology and science, is they're going to think he's a lot like my dad, a lot like my mom. Their, their, their view of what God is like, first and foremost, is going to come out of their family of origin. And so how you live and how you speak and what you watch and what comes into your home and what you focus on, those things, it's just like, it's like a brick at a time, brick at a time. Unfortunately, if we wait till they're in their teenage years, wow, there's a lot of bricks already in there. And there is a world and an enemy called the liar who's seeking to distort. Wasn't that the very first sin? To distort what God is like. Follow him and you will miss out. That's always been the strategy and it still is. And so what we see 
is a biblical profile here of both Moses and Mary who both get this amazing view of God. And isn't it interesting that, that one is the best educated of his day, he has the access to anything, and the other is a teenage girl. It took one 40 years to get to the point where he came to the end of himself. That's what that second 40 years was about. Remember, after 40 years, I got this. I'll deliver my people out of my strength and my way and... And after 40 years, God had him to a point where he didn't think he could do anything. I don't understand why this is true, but it's true in Scripture. It's certainly true in my experience, and most of you would probably agree. Those times in your life where you have hit rock, 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 bottom, and you had nothing to bring, and you cried out in desperation, are probably the times when you've experienced the power and the presence and the deliverance of God more than any other time in your life. And part of what God longs for us to do is to willfully go to that place. Isaiah 57, 15 is, a, is an interesting verse. Um, I memorized a lot of scripture and it got to where I, I kind of like to do it because I like to do it, not always for the greatest of motives. And there, there, there was a season when I was younger, you know, shortly after college, if I found a cool verse, I just memorized it because I thought, this is a cool verse. And uh, this was a cool verse that I probably didn't really understand what it meant, but it says, thus says the Lord God Almighty who dwells in a high and holy place and also with the broken and contrite of heart to restore the spirit of the broken and revive the heart of the contrite. And there's a little phrase where he says, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with. And I was probably 10 years later, I was, you know, I, I wrote them on these little cards and I'd review them. And the thought came to me, there is only two places in the world where God can fully be God. In a sinless environment where he is worshipped and there's no inhibitions. And in a human heart that is completely broken before him. A contrite heart. It's the picture not of the Pharisee who says, I'm glad I'm not like him, but of the the publican who's beating his breast and saying, I can't even look up. God rushes to meet us when we have a sense that we bring nothing to the table. And I think that's one of the keys. First Peter uh, 1, 15 and 16 is the New Testament command. It's in a time of persecution, by the way. It's in a time when Nero was the emperor and it was a time where he's, he's telling him, why are you surprised at the fiery trial, the opposition, the persecution? What, what, what part of this doesn't make sense to you? Why do you think suffering is something that's weird? You've been called to that. Notice what he says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And I would just encourage you that the key, because you're wondering, the key to your children and grandchildren and the key for you and the key for me for making wise decisions 
is grasping a theology of the holiness of God. The verse there that comes right before that that I quoted and we read in 1 Peter, he says, don't be ignorant. Don't live in the manner that you used to live as though you were ignorant, but like the Holy One who called you. God, God's holiness, by the way, that, that's a word that gets messed up. Don't think of it as black robes, someone lighting candles, and people, when they say God, they say, God. You need to understand what God would say. This isn't weird. This isn't like bumper stickers on your car. This is, the word holiness, the root of it is other, but it's also wholeness. It's, it's winsome, it's loving, it's powerful, it's pure, it's separate from sin. It's, it's Christ-likeness. If, if you want to know what holiness looks like interacting, it's the way Jesus interacted. Holiness isn't some external things of simply keeping some rules. Holiness is a position of the heart. God says that he answers the prayer of the righteous. Psalm 66, 18. But those who are in willful sin, he goes, I close my ears. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If, if some of you, I, I love some of the body language I'm getting right now, because some of you are looking at me and your body language is going, whoa, this is like super serious. Yes, it is. I think we've lost that in our day. My, uh, I'm a... I'm a fan of contemporary music for, for many reasons. I think some of us grew up where things were very staid. Unfortunately, I don't think that some of our contemporary music has much of a grasp of the holiness of God. I just, all due to various kinds of instruments, there's, there's, there's something about reverential awe of God that can't be played with three notes in a hip-hop beat. It's a matter of the heart, and we need both. We need worship songs that sing directly to God. We need songs that talk about the redemption and the actual work of Christ, and we need songs that talk about who God really is. That's why I thought it was so neat. Phil, you, you gave us a mixture of all of them, man. You know, there's, uh, I, I, I want to, in intimate moments, say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, right? But I need to sing praise to the Almighty. I need to understand, on this celestial ball, I need to remember, you know, that there's, he's in totally other, unapproachable, white light that I can't grasp. And just a glimpse brings me to my face. And that I'm unworthy before him. Doesn't mean I don't matter. And contrary to some of our couple hundred years ago, I'm not a worm as in I'm insignificant or self-loathing. It's just he is so big and so wonderful and so holy in comparison, I can't even imagine why I'm so valuable to him. See, that's what humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. And so how do we teach our kids to make wise choices? Let's get really practical or I'll run out of time and then I'll, boy, I'll kick myself again. And 
Dave will kick me harder, which he should. Number one, teach them to saturate their minds with the truth, the Bible, great books. <laughs> I think, does, you, does your notes still say CDs? If they, your kids don't have CD players, but for some of you, you can listen to them and pass them on. Uh, videos, Romans 8, 5 through 8. Uh, those who set their minds on the things of the flesh versus those who set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. If you want to do a little study, especially as you think about your kids, just do a little, do a little word study on the mind. Uh, Colossians 3 you know, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. This, the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit, life and peace. Don't be conformed to this world. Instead, go to church a lot, try really hard and be religious. Oh no, that's not what it says. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proverbs 23, 17. What? As a man, as a woman thinks in your heart, so you become. We're the product of our thought life. Um, what you allow what in your mind and what you allow to go in your children's mind will literally dictate their future. And we're, we're, we're living in a day where they're, my, they are bombarded. And the whole world, and a lot of it that's not good, is here. And by the way, it's not just evil things. It's just, I mean, all the research is really clear about attention deficit disorder, about what happens when there's a steady stream of information, 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 pixel, 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 and their mind has to do, the attention span, it keeps going like this, like this, like this, like this. I mean, I'm, I've worked with a team of people and they keep saying, Chip, you gotta get them shorter and shorter and shorter. I said, how do you talk about the holiness of God in two and a half minutes? Well, that's as long as they're gonna listen, so we're gonna put it on social media, and I'm thinking, God forgive us, we know not what we do. But you're, this, is, this is a battleground, and you will not be a popular parent, but it will be really important. So make it fun. When they're young, read Bible stories at night. Have times around the table where you talk and process. Uh, memorize scripture together. Number two, encourage them to build relationships with wise, godly people. Proverbs 13, 20. He who dwells with wise men will be wise, and the companion of a fool will suffer harm. Uh, whenever I, I did this my, my whole life, if there was someone that I had come speak at the church, he was over at dinner at my house. Or after we had a Saturday night service, after Saturday night service, my kids know we're going to go and we're going to sit around the table. And we're going to hear Tom Randall's stories about what's happening here and Dr. Bill Lawrence, what's happening here and Prof. Hendricks here. I want to expose my kids. When, if I was going to have to go someplace, you know, my lands, don't go places alone. Stick one of those kids in the car with you and put something on and then talk about it and listen to some of their stuff. My kids, they, they just thought, oh, Dad, would you just please? It's the NBA All-Star Game. Do you have to analyze these commercials too? <laughs> I, I would, or, you know what? It's kind of a good movie and we're all rooting. There's this jerk, right? And this jerk is, 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 you know, married to this really beautiful, kind, lovely woman, and he's a jerk, and there's this guy over here, and he's kind, and he's loving, and they start to fall in love, and everything in your emotions say, that guy's a jerk, that guy's a jerk, and we all start rooting for her to commit adultery with this guy. 
Where, where do you think that comes from? That's where you pause. Guys, pause. Do you understand what's happening here? You understand what's happening in this movie? I, I don't care if it's rated G, P, G, R, or 3515. I, I just made that last one up. But, <laughs> you, you know, the commercial is, you know, half-dressed woman jump in your convertible because of the kind of beer you drink? Really? You, you think your white teeth is going to do that for you, son? I mean, I mean, if you wear this or you wear that, you want to you pause and talk and dialogue. So you know what you want to do? You teach him to think. You teach him to discern. And it's not that's bad, 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 good, 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 bad, bad, bad. You ask questions. What do you think? By the way, the earlier the better. What do you think they're trying to sell us in this commercial? A car. Really? How come they didn't talk about the car, didn't talk about the engine, didn't talk about the price? Have you all noticed that commercials actually, they don't advertise anything anymore. They're building an emotional connection about who you think you want to be. And so pretty soon it's, you know, I'm not sure what this phone does, but I'll tell you what, those of us that use it are innovative and cutting edge because we have Apple. Just because it costs 400 more dollars than the comparable phone, and it happens to link to all my other stuff, that's so why I keep it. <laughs> and you just, how will they learn? If we're stupid, I'm, trying, I'm saying uh, us, you know, they'll be stupid. You gotta teach them to think. But, you know, it's, it's that classic illustration. The FBI doesn't train all their people by showing them 50 different counterfeit bills. This is a real deal. This is who God is. This is what's true. This is what's noble. This is what's righteous. If there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind, literally the word is dwell. It's an accounting term. Ponder, think, calculate, evaluate. Let your mind dwell on these things. And what's the promise? And the God of peace will be with you. So we want to help our kids really uh, not be weird, not be, you know, I can't ever do anything or watch anything. Teach them to be discerning and help them to build relationships with people and experiences. Uh, third, model for them to seek God for discernment and wisdom. It's interesting to me that the uh, Philippian church is, uh, uh, if he had favorites, I think this had to be one of Paul's favorites. And he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, literally it's real knowledge, it's epikonosko, and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Pray that for your kids. Pray that for you. Oh, God, would you help me from your word, from great people, from a walk in nature, from my times in prayer, would you help me to have a real knowledge of who you are so I could be discerning about literally not what's good but what is best so I could make the decisions that so my life would be blameless and above reproach. Teach him to pray James one five, when they don't know what to do. Should I go to this party or not? 
And by the way, the older they get, don't make all the decisions. Don't create a bunch of boundaries where they never make a decision and never fail. You know, they hit, you know, you got to discern your kids and what they can do and what you're concerned and, 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 and weigh the risk versus reward and the consequences. But as my kids got older, it was, hey, Dad, can we blah, blah, blah? What do you think? What, what I'm asking, Dad, is can I go or not? I said, well, here's the deal. When is it? Friday? Today's Monday. First, thanks for asking so early. Second, take the next 48 hours. I want you to really pray before God. And on Wednesday at dinner, why don't you tell me what you think God wants you to do? Now, I, did I have an opinion? Absolutely. In some cases, did I think, no. And if it was like, no, like, blah, 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 I didn't use that a tactic. I mean, if I, if I know, but if it was like, I think it's pretty risky. I think there's some things that probably won't go on, but it'll be very good. But my land, so what, what am I going to do? I, I, want, I want to learn. It always surprised me that my children made better decisions when they were forced to make them. And by the way, just, you know, because when we get up in front of people and make these talks, it sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it does. It really does. Man, he, this guy kind of has it together. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, let me, uh, we just don't have time to talk about, oh, that was a dumb one. He said, I think God wants me to go. That was a train wreck that we had to deal with. Oh, blah, 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 right? So we didn't do it all right. But here's my point. The goal is not that you keep them in a box and you go, wow, don't we have cute little moral kids? Great. Until they go someplace else or go off to college and they don't have their convictions. They got your convictions. In fact, they don't really have your convictions because the reason that so many freshmen and sophomores lose their faith is they don't really lose their faith. But it creates such guilt and tension to say, I believe in Jesus when everyone's making fun of me and people are smoking weed and getting to sleep around and you don't. So if you start smoking weed and sleeping around, pretty soon the only option is, I don't think I believe in Jesus anymore. Because they're just like us when there's tension between what we know is right and guilt of our behavior. What do we do? We start going into denial. We're just more sophisticated because we've practiced longer. I would encourage you, too, that as you make decisions, especially big ones, we're going to relocate. I might take another job. Bring them in. Sit on the floor. I mean, we just, that, all my kids knew, when, we're going to come all sit on the floor together. I guess this is a biggie. Either I was repenting when we were sitting on the floor. I was not a very good dad, and I've not been very consistent, and I want to apologize to all of you. And by the way, I want you to know, so you're not caught off guard, when this behavior happens, I'm going to be waiting and looking for it, and this consequence is going to happen. Okay, so the reason you guys are acting up and doing all this stuff is <laughs> there's this funny thing in our house. Whenever I was inconsistent, they acted up. Duh, you know? And so we sat down. The other time was when we sat down in a circle and was like, God, we don't have enough money for this, or will you please help us with this? Or, you know, we got so many people and we got a car that only sits this many, but there's a baby on the way, and God answered. Or... We're really praying about a major decision. We really want to know what you all think. I mean, this is not a democracy, so it's like, oh, three kids to two parents. I guess we're going to do this. I really want to know, and I want you in the process, and I want to know what you think, and I want to, I want to honor you. And they'll, 
They'll watch you weigh the pros and cons and discern God's will and wrestle with it. And this is what I'm thinking, but these are my fears and these are my concerns. And, you know, obviously it's age appropriate. But see, the goal is not to somehow protect our kids from everything. The goal is it's a training ground. What, what the, if, 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 if our children are, what's the, what's the one, what is it, 127 in Psalms? If they're arrows in our quiver? You know, the goal for arrows is the, oh man, what do, you think, what do you think of my quiver? Are those like bad looking, cool little arrows or whatever? I mean, you know, I got red ones, I got blue ones, man, I got some feathers here. What's the purpose of arrows? You aim him, boom, man, kingdom impact. Boom, boom. There's their gifts, there's their heart, there's their propensities, here's their weaknesses, here's the danger, here's what we're going to have to work on. Everything is about, boy, what I want to do, I want to release you as an arrow in the hands of the living God to fulfill the purpose he has for you, but bigger, the purpose that he wants to accomplish through you. Teach them to monitor their exposure to media, whether that's video or Netflix or games. Um, I, I would, uh, I, I think I'm probably talking to a group that you have protection on all their devices, that you, uh, without apology, say, oh yes, I can see where you're logged on, where, do, oh, you don't trust me? Oh, absolutely, I trust you. It's called, I just want to inspect and verify. Um, you know what, I've, for, some, for some of you who've had struggles with online stuff, uh, one of my sons, his wife, is, is the only one that has the passcodes to, I know, his phone. Uh, no, this is about, we're all tempted, everyone in a weak moment will do things they wish they hadn't. So we're here to help you. Accountability is you invite people into your life to help you keep your commitments to Jesus. And on a bad day, whether you're the king of Israel and godly and wrote a lot of psalms, you can end up sleeping with one and kill one later. And if David can do that, I think uh, there's all of us. Do not be conformed to this world or the world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, that's we tend to pound on the first half. Make sure, oh gosh, two minutes over. Uh, here's, here's pound on the second half, so that your life could prove what the will of God is. Remind them the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The life message is righteous choices bring life and peace. Wrong choices bring sin and death. And Lord, we, uh, we want to help our kids make very wise choices. Since we can't get inside their head right now, if there's anything in our lives that violates your holiness, would you show us right now? Would you give us the courage to address it today so that we can model for our kids and grandkids who you are and what you want them to be? Amen.